Friday nights at 9 p.m. It's time to sit back, relax, and play conspiracy bingo with Echoplex Media. We've curated the best conspiracy theorists the internet has to offer and turned it into a live bingo game you can play for free with absolutely no prizes but bragging rights. You won't find a live stream like this anywhere else, and that's probably better for everyone else's mental health. Tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. And I'm talking about the Echoplex patrols over here, guys. They're ascended masters.
everyone. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific right here on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash Media. If you're listening on the pod, thank you for downloading the pod, listening to the pod, sharing the pod with your friends. But you should certainly consider joining us for a live show sometime, if not this one. Any of our other, other live shows, you can find the schedule for that at echoplexmedia.com, along with all kinds of other things that I shouldn't have to list because we have a website. I'm producer David, and you can find me on Grinder. And this, as always, is the Councilman flying alongside producer Dave here on Down Ballot every Tuesday night. Thank you for tuning in, listener uh, and viewer. We're happy to have you here. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore councilman. Um, and you can also find me up in your land use business, possibly pulling some imminent domain on your ass. But we're going to find out more about that later in the docket. We will. We will. There is an imminent domain story on the docket. It's a long docket this week, but we don't have a, a guest for local love. So we're not doing local love tonight. What we're doing after, actually, oh. you probably saw it on the ballot. We're going over the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors meeting and the Orange County Board of Supervisors meeting. The Orange County Board of Supervisors meeting is, has a special appearance from Lee Dundas, who worships a space alien. Oh, that's fabulous. I should definitely let the good wife know. As you know, may know she spent a good amount of years in the Orange County area um, trying to flip it from red to blue. So I'm sure she'll be really excited to hear that it's, it's appearing on the, uh, the post game tonight. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Lee Dundas is a lawyer for the cult of Scientology, and she's also an anti-vaxxer and a COVID denier and all kind of great stuff. You know, basically the intersection of everything we talk about here. So anyway, let's, get, let's get going. What do we have for leading off? Well, uh, it looks like uh, crime, as you know, <laughs> is just, you know, crime. Um, so <laughs> so people are concerned about crime, especially on Nextdoor. And someone had the genius idea that uh, they would partner with uh, uh, Ring to uh, get free Ring devices and video cameras for folks' homes in their neighborhood to combat crime. So we're going to learn more about that. And neighbors are joining forces to battle crime in the South Bay. Dozens of families in San Jose Seven Trees neighborhood will be getting free ring doorbell cameras and motion sensor lights to help catch criminals during this holiday season. NBC Bay Stephanie Magallon joins us. And Stephanie, if it works, is it going to expand to other neighborhoods? Jess, that is possible, but first let me tell you this, the group behind this effort is rebuilding together Silicon Valley and they chose the Seven Trees neighborhood as a starting point. A community I'm told is mostly made up of working class residents, low income families and aging residents and an area some neighbors say is a hotspot for crime. Shootings, standoffs, porch pirates, residents in this South San Jose neighborhood. Never heard porch pirates before. Tell me they've seen it all. <laughs> Last year, somebody crashed into our garage and... <laughs> well, yeah, that's, a, that's that happens all the time. <laughs> Come on. Isn't that unique? She knew she was going to be on down ballot. <laughs> and there were no cameras. Nobody saw. This person left and we were left with a broken garage and broken wall and a broken car. Just driving down the neighborhood, you notice the limited number of well-lit homes with cameras. Especially in this uh, day of inflation, we've, everybody's making choices on what they can spend money on. And at our community meetings, which we hold monthly, um, the top concern has been security and safety. That's when rebuilding together Silicon Valley stepped in an organization that provides free home repairs for low-income families. With the help of sponsors, they obtained 80 ring doorbell cameras and motion sensor lights that will be given to neighbors here for free during a litter pickup event Saturday. It's something I think many of us can, can take for granted, but it's a really amazing piece of our growing technological 
um, part of our community, uh, but to be able to have security in the form of cameras to make sure that um, if, if there are security concerns um, or just being able to know who's coming to your front door, it gives you that peace of mind. Those who sign up will also get the gear installed for free, giving families here a sense of security right on time for the holidays. If a lot of neighbors have that in one area, then we can all just kind of help each other and protect each other. That that helps build a community spirit. If you feel unsafe, you're more willing to walk out your door and meet your neighbors. For now, the Seven Trees neighborhood will serve as a pilot program, but I'm told rebuilding together Silicon Valley is really hoping to install these security measures in other underserved communities throughout Santa Clara County. Back to you. So my first impression is now the thieves know to go to the Seven Trees neighborhood and they can they can find some ring cameras. <laughs> <laughs> that's Absolutely what right. That's what I'm thinking is gonna is going on here. You just alerted people to like eighty like basically brand new cameras that run you know like 150 bucks. Like <laughs> right. Um. And, and honestly, these things can be a blessing and a curse. Right. Like it's it's fantastic and and to have a documented footage when someone does actually commit crimes but uh to be honest we have a ring now and uh majority of the time it's like the mail lady or you know amazon or ups or whatever and i i'm out and get a notification there's motion at your front door and i check the video and you know um it's just one of those things right i i, I really hope one time it's like a porch pirate i really want to say <laughs> you know like some guy with a, a hook hand you'll come up and grab one of my packages and just be like into the video camera Arr! um but <laughs> But it's rarely that, so it's it's almost creating you know another level of I mean healthy paranoia is always good, and this is not a safe you know we're not in, this, in a safe world right, and there's haves and have nots, and you're going to have crimes. But um uh I think it does things like next door and and somewhat initiatives like this can create a little more I think um paranoia than than is needed and a little more uh, uh getting people more uh, finely attuned than they necessarily need to be. But um. At the end of the day, you do what's right for your community, and it's you know the nonprofit's paying for them. You know that's all good, but yeah, I'm, that's why so I'm going to grab a new ring camera. I was just terrified <laughs> that it was going to be like a partnership between a next door and Ring, and I was like, no, this is the dystopia. This is this is, this is not, that yeah, one. That, that that would have been terrifying. We'll get to that. We'll get to Tech Bros trying to help the poor people later in the docket. I think we have a few a few stories about that actually tonight. Um. So we'll we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully this doesn't lead to just a rash like next door, a rash of reporting the same incident twenty million times, or, or you know, uh, poor people <laughs> losing their packages, like as opposed or, to like getting their homes broken into. Or on next door, hey, is your ring doorbell? Is your ring ring doorbell gone too? <laughs> <laughs> I got a ring. I got a free ring, and it doesn't work. Um, anyway, uh, but also uh, I should put in a plug: rebuilding Silicon Valley, rebuilding together Silicon Valley is a very quality and good uh, local nonprofit. They do, um, generally speak, uh, speaking, they focus on helping uh, lower income people uh, with home renovations and actually uh, improving their homes and, and, and rebuilding their houses um, that are run down. Um, so a, a very good nonprofit. It's Giving Tuesday, so go out and give. That's my one plug for Giving Tuesday. So we're going to move on to winners and losers where um, there are no winners. And if anybody happens to win, it's usually not the person you were rooting for. Uh, you had mentioned uh, tech bros trying to help people, and our first story is actually tech bros trying to help people. I called this, what the fuck, was the first thing I thought of. 
Uh, here's a story about a San Francisco entrepreneur trying to bring free solar power to the unhoused. I can't fucking believe I'm reading this headline. I just cannot fucking believe I'm reading. <laughs> oh my God. It's anyway, here I'm, I'm, I'm sure after this is over, I'm going to have even more thoughts. I haven't watched this or listened to this. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to be angry for sure. <laughs> Get prepared. It can be very hard for people living out on the streets and cell phones can be so important to help them find shelter. And while many of the unhoused carry them, keeping them charged is another thing. KPIX 5's Itai Hod introduces us to a local college student who put a lot of time and effort into finding a solution for that. And here's a look at what he came up with. For the past 18 months, Zach Clark, a senior at the University of San Francisco, oh, spent my every God. minute of his free time meeting with investors, securing funds, and testing prototype after prototype, all leading up to this moment. We're really anticipating a good response, but of course you never know until you actually do it. Today is the launch of his new product, but no matter how the day goes, Zach won't make a penny off of it. In fact, he's giving away all his inventory to complete strangers. Hi there. Uh, my name is Zach. Four years ago, oh, Zach got an apartment in the Tenderloin, an my area with some of the highest levels of homelessness in the city. Seeing this being a way of life, excuse me? In such a city that has so much wealth and innovation and creativity, I wanted to use some of that creativity and innovation for something meaningful. So Zach and his friends came up with an idea. Hey guys. A high-tech backpack they call the makeshift traveler. It's filled with all kinds of useful stuff, but the one thing that really sets it apart is this. And so the backpack has a solar panel that you can utilize to oh, no. charge a cell phone. A You've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. These guys are just, the dog looks more interested than the guys are. They, they're like, um, bro, we've got backpacks and we've got these little, I mean, they've got mil mini solar chargers for cell phones these days that you can get really cheap. So I, I study showed 72% of homeless people living in the Bay Area have cell phones, a lifeline to essential services. But keeping them charged is a whole other matter. Leonard Esley has been living on the streets for almost two years. An Army vet, he's been working on getting a subsidized apartment, but staying in touch with the VA has been nearly impossible. There's like one place I know of in the city that you can go plug in. He plugged his phone in, and it immediately came to life. Yeah, there you go. As the day goes by, the reception Zach gets is way bigger than anything he could have imagined. Oh my god. And although Zach won't take any money. You gotta play us a good song though. We'll accept other types of payment. Overwhelming uh, amount of emotions. First day of many, and uh, really excited to see what what comes of the future. I hope they paid the copyright for this song. On the power of the sun to deliver a ray of hope to the homeless. Itai Hod, KPIX5. Like if I start humming that song, we'll get busted, right? It's about a hundred bucks to make. So far, Zach has delivered five hundred of them. Yo, okay, so like my main problem with this is <clears throat> you see how like all those the, their backpacks were actually full of items. 
Yes. And it didn't look like yes. this was a backpack for items. Correct. And although they said that there were many helpful things in it, but they didn't really specify beyond the phone charger, which, as I've already pointed out, could be done in a lot smaller form and not require anyone who already has a backpack with a lot of useful things in it for living on the street. Like, you know, I don't know, a sleeping bag, clothes, um, warmth, right? Uh maybe food. Um, it looked like this It's just another bag that he's asking them to wear um, and, and offering it as like a helpful tool. Uh, and they didn't show anything else that's in the bag. Like for all we know, you know, there's like one of those Ikea Allen wrenches and a, you know, like a bottle opener and a, <laughs> maybe a Swiss army knife or something. I don't know. It's just, like like what's in this of, bag. it's just like full of beer. Right. Well, I was wondering at first when he had the little covered cart, like what's in the cart? What is it? He's given out 500 of these things. I mean, I just, I can't imagine the reception being that great. Like people will take, you'll take free shit, right? You're living on the street. You'll take anything for free if you can maybe turn around and you know, pawn it or, or do something with it. But I can't imagine this is very useful to folks, frankly. Um, right. Or, Wouldn't it be just as useful, if not maybe more useful to just have gotten solar battery packs and handed yeah, them no, out? I, I swear to God, I, I could probably in this office, I think I have like two that I got as tchotchkes. Yeah, right up here at uh, like a convention for free in a in a goodie bag. It's a little portable uh, uh, solar panel, and you can plug your phone into it. It's all that's all you need. It's like it weighs probably less than an ounce, um, and you uh, and work. It works. I've tried it while camping. So, well, I mean, I would have for free. It. I would. I would get. I would get a better one that had a battery on it, so that like you could. Put yeah, it, yeah, like, I know. You could like tie it to your backpack while you're walking around, right? And it charges the battery on it. Yeah, but that hundred percent. But I'm just saying this is something I got for free at a right. convention, right? Like uh, that. I'm sure you know if people put if we pulled some money together, we could get something high quality out to people. And especially if he's getting doing a startup anyway. If he's already got investors, why do the whole backpack? If if every if the the, the real draw is the charger, innovation, bro. It's innovation. Yeah, just go. Yeah, no, no need to create and reinvent the wheel, as they say, or reinvent the backpack. Just go buy people one of these chargers and i guarantee you a lot of folks already have something like that if they're living on the street like um yeah if you're living on the street for any prolonged period of time you gotta charge your phone so i think you'd probably find a way you know to do that first that'd be like number one priority besides food it just occurs to me that like when you see someone that's like fitted out they have something actually attached to the top of their backpack usually usually a sleeping mm -hmm. bag is attached to the, then now that would cover your solar panel you can't move the solar panel on top of your sleeping bag now so now it's just covered no. Yeah, you can't have the solar panel on the bottom of the backpack because that would negate the purpose of the solar panel. Right. So um, I just, I just feel like we, this could have been a lot more effectively done by just handing out batteries with solar panels on them. Dude, I, I mean, I want to see like the the Go Go Gadget or the Jetsons backpack that actually folds out into a cot, right? Um, and also comes with the solar panel and the phone charger. That'd be kind of cool. Just hit a button and it, like you know, like the, like George Jetson's uh, suitcase, right? When when are we going to get that? That turns into a a, a car or a flying car. Well, that's cool. That's a little far out there, but I, I feel like this is I feel like this is a hundred percent about this kid's ego and not about helping anybody because that backpack was also exactly. like ugly, like it it didn't appear to have much space to put things you don't trust in it. The, you don't trust Zach's benevolent inherent benevolence. It just it just seemed like a very uh, other than the solar panel. It seemed like a very useless backpack, like from what I was able to see. <laughs> It it really did, and I think that's exactly the reaction you saw from most of the folks that he approached um, on the street. We're just like, "Hi," he's like, "Hi, I'm Zach." And they're like, 
They're like, oh, fuck. fuck. Who, the fuck who the fuck are you? What do you have? Get out of get, you got oh, You brought a camera crew with you, too? Fuck you. Just give me your fucking backpack and go away. So, of course, he gave out 500 because they're just like, give it to me and go away. <laughs> I may not need this, but maybe I can sell it. Right. Maybe some it's tech free. bro will buy it from me for $200. <laughs> I'm going to go over to Twitter and sell it to the Yeah, all the fucking, all, the, the 14 people left working at Twitter are all wearing, all wearing them tomorrow now. Right. You got laid off. You're going to be on the streets soon. You need this backpack. So, uh, speaking of tech bros, this story has infected every other thing that we do around here. This is a story about Elon. I noticed that it appears that there's a person on the street uh, commenting on this, and, this, and that's pretty much why I put it on here. The Twitter, right. This is it. about the Twitter amnesty plan. Uh, Plex underscore Dave has not been unblocked. They've not freed DJ Bob yet. And they've not freed our at Echoplex media account. So I don't know. If, I think this is just amnesty for famous racists. But we'll see what's going on here. Let's see what we the can uh, lobby him. Let's see what lobby. NBC Bay Area has. To, uh, I've, I've already called him apartheid Clyde like 500 times. I don't know if I'd be able oh. to lobby him. Oh, okay. A billionaire Twitter owner Elon Musk says he will grant amnesty to users who were kicked off of the platform. The users were booted for various reasons, right? Like using threatening language and hate speech. Uh, Musk also says he will once again sell Twitter verified check marks starting next week. Again, the key word is sell. As NBC Bay Area's Tom Jensen reports, users and social media experts are worried that these moves could lead to a spike in hate speech and violence. New concerns about what the world's richest person, Elon Musk, is doing with Twitter. It scares me. The amnesty program is very dangerous. Users and experts alike voicing concerns after Musk tweeted two days ago that he's conducted a Twitter poll and 72% of respondents supported amnesty for users who have been kicked off the platform prior to... Wait, wasn't he just complaining about all the bots on Twitter? How does he know, how does he know that that wasn't just like a, like a bot action to vote yes on that? The, the, I believe that those 3.162112 votes, your million voters, were uh, legitimate. All of them. Musk's Twitter purchase. And he tweeted, Amnesty begins next week. The people that were. Oh, that Vox Populi. Vox Populi, Vox Dei means. Like, yeah, really, somebody under it put that that doesn't mean what you think it means, you idiot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Inconceivable. And were the ones that had a lot of hate speech, they had a lot of threats. Uh, they caused a lot of uh, anxiety for a lot of people. Creative Strategies founder Tim Bajaran, well, a leading tech consultant and analyst, isn't the only one. This guy? Twitter users we talked with said they're noticing more hate speech and worry the hate will eventually take shape in the form of violence. I mean, I believe in free speech, but it also, you know, hate speech is, it's, it's hard to, you know, gauge what people do, you know, versus what they do in person and what they're going to say online. It's poisoning our entire country's atmosphere and, and not inconsiderably. Max Reef, Concord Twitter user. Mass shootings and things like that. Musk responded to amnesty concerns in a tweet saying incitement of violence will result in account suspension. Then he described how Twitter will examine accounts to determine whether they broke any laws or engaged in spam before letting them back on the platform. And he ended with, quote, Twitter will be a forum for peaceful exchange of views. And Musk also tweeted two days ago that hate impressions are down one-third since they spiked in late October and early November. And then he thanked the Twitter team. Bajaran says Musk should be motivated to regulate hate speech and threats or face the loss of more advertising dollars from corporations concerned about their reputations. They don't want to be associated with a site that fundamentally allows, you know, 
everybody just to say whatever they want without any form of restrictions. If more advertisers flee, the, the ability to have significant revenue for the company to keep it afloat is going to be very difficult. And Bajaran says Twitter may have difficulty regulating speech and fixing bugs in the system after Musk laid off or fired many of the Bay Area's best code writers. He says only time will tell whether Twitter can survive in this type of atmosphere or if it might one day go the way of MySpace and become a social media has been. Tom Jensen, NBC Bay Area News. I like the Concord Twitter user. <laughs> he seems to have his finger on the pulse, as does that tech analyst So <clears throat> with the open collar and the, the mustache. I only did it because of the. I knew there was going to be like person on the street. But I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't get too much into it. This, we have a tech show called how the tech are you, where we've been kind of covering this a little bit more and we've been covering it on the Sunday show. I just found it. They just picked very interesting people on the street. The, the guy in like dressed head to toe in pink. I bet he is terminally online, terminally online. Uh, absolutely. Like he was, they had to tear him away from his, his phone. Um, his screen time is probably through the roof. It, it's yeah, it's always fun. Uh, on the local news hits, watching um, and finding out where, where they were. I, I I don't know what the decision, how the decision making process happens. Like what, how they decide. Oh, we'll send a reporter to Concord, or is it that just happens to be where the reporter who's available was? You know, so they could go interview person on the street. Right? It doesn't have to be Concord. It could be San Francisco. It could be San Bruno. It could be San Jose. Um, but it's just always interesting to me where they end up. Right? And we're live in Walnut Creek. Um, to talk about this issue that impacts the whole nation, right? It could be as Walnut Creek is representative of California or the state or, you know, the Bay Area, really not. Um, anyway, but you'll, you'll see that a lot. And it has to do a lot of times, which is where the reporters are at when they get assigned the story um, and where they live even sometimes. In San Francisco, it's almost always the Castro. Mm, yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, we're going to go to lunch. We're going to lunch after this story. So we're, we're going to do it from the Castro. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's also it also has to do with where you're going to find you know if you know places you're going to find people right if you if you know that um, Concord is a hotbed for people on the street like guy on the street with the pink outfit right um, pink jumpsuit if you know that guy and those kind of folks are going to be out and about in a certain place you're going to go there right Santana Row is a perfect example of that right like oh we're in Santana Row because we knew people would be out and about in Santana Row and we'd be able to and they're they're the kind of folks that want to get on camera and talk. <clears throat> Fair enough. What's our next story? Oh man, kids in the West Valley just can't stop being racist. Today, Saratoga High School students held an anti-racism rally with parents and teachers at the school, students sharing their experiences and wearing red to show their unity. Explicit racism shouldn't have to take center stage for us to talk about it. It comes after a doll with dark complexion was found hanging by a noose in the main quad of Saratoga High School. The district believes it happened Friday the 11th at night. Today, we spoke with members of the school's anti-racism task force. Like, we don't know who the perpetrator is, but it had like a very strong impact on our community regardless. New surveillance photos show what the district is calling two persons of interest. The images are grainy, but these two were seen on campus the night of the incident, and Saratoga High 
isn't the only school affected. The dolls and nooses were also found at Prospect High School and at Redwood Middle School as well. Our goal right now is to make sure people understand that just because racism doesn't affect you personally in this community doesn't mean that you don't have to take action when you see that something's wrong. The district sent an alert to parents denouncing it. The sheriff's department is investigating it as a hate crime and issued a statement saying hate has no place in Santa Clara County. The sheriff's office will thoroughly investigate these incidents and request prosecution of the offenders to the fullest extent of the law. Students say the discovery shook the school, but prompted them to address racism and encourage unity. It's our job to sort of call it out and really take the next the next steps forward to suppress that and just sort of build a community of allies and we're in which we're here for each other because everyone Zach. has a responsibility to make sure that racism has no place on this campus in saratoga ian cole nbc bay area news and that kid zach like in that in that last clip there grew up to be the person who made the backpack in our, for, in our correct story <laughs> <laughs> Correct. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, oh, this kid's going to start his own nonprofit one day and give out backpacks to homeless people. So, I mean, this stuff is this stuff is good, and it, I think it's good that like yeah. the, the, the students seem to be leading it, and that they were interviewing students, um, and that sure. they versus like interviewing concerned parents or whatever, because the concerned parents Counselors. might be concerned, but that's that's the student's school, you know. So I think it's yeah, absolutely. I think they did. they're doing an um, okay job covering this one. I yeah, still, I, I still live right down the street from Prospect. Yeah, it's you know they're definitely diverse campuses, right? That the the neighborhoods and the areas are kind of Tony and 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 more affluent. Um, not not entirely in a white way, um, but definitely more affluent. So I'd be interested to, to learn more about um, sort of the threads that they've seen at the at these schools of racism and other associated things. It certainly happened at my you know white bread prep you know, uh, Catholic high school, um, all boys school. Uh, we had an incident with the football team and students took charge on their own. Right? We, we interrupted a rally. There was a sit-in at a rally. Um, and uh, we actually instigated some form of change or at least acknowledgement from the administration. So um, good on the kids for, for organizing and, and, you know, trying to snuff this out uh, before it uh, becomes a thing, right? It could just be a joke, could just be some sort of offhand thing, but better to address it and call it out for what it is. Well, I mean, jokes are funny. They, they are sticks and stones, man. Right, but um, but words do matter, and it's and images do matter, and dolls hanging from nooses absolutely uh, matter. Well, like we said earlier, we're we're actually going to have a story about eminent domain on the docket tonight. I'm so excited as a land use aficionado. Um, this is a, a pretty intriguing uh uh, uh topic, and uh, I think we'll just let the story run and explain itself, and then we can talk about it on the back end wrong place at the wrong time. That's how some downtown San Jose business owners describe their situation after learning the BART to Silicon Valley project may force them out. VTA plans to build an emergency exit for an underground BART station on East Santa Clara Street, right where their businesses now sit. NBC Bay Area's Marianne Favreau has the story. VTA wants to buy this building in order to complete its project to bring BART to downtown. No, not that shop. That's such a good shop. That's a fucking that's a fucking Mexican bakery shop that's been there forever. No, 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 no. Put it somewhere else. Put it somewhere else. We will get the whole story Zay and the tortas. But the owner of Mexico Bakery says if that happens and VTA uses eminent domain, 
he'll be forced to close his business. As Jose Landon serves up sweet treats at Mexico Bakery, he's feeling sour about his future here. VTA says it needs the building his business is in. Those are properties where we are going to locate both emergency egress and emergency unfortunate yes. from the yes. <laughs> platform, um, as well as emergency ventilation facilities. Jose says he would be forced to close after nearly two decades, and he's worried about his employees. Uh, we employ around 10, 12 people. That these 10 people support their families. So if we have no job for them, they're, they're going to be uh, with no job. Uh, once BTA takes over. Andy says the relocation money he'd likely receive isn't enough to reopen at a new location. BTA also offers services for relocation. Uh, but honestly, with the money that they offer, there's no way we cannot even have enough money to open a food truck. VTA says it's offered the owners of the two buildings a fair market price, and the agency will help all tenants relocate. We have a legal obligation, and we have relocation agents uh, who are available and have been contacting these owners to help them both find a new location, uh, if there's a difference in rent, help with that cost, help with the cost of moving and reestablishment and so on. But Jose questions why VTA doesn't use the empty courtyard next door. Golem says it's not big enough and other possible locations would have delayed the project significantly. Now with the owners of the properties refusing to sell, VTA can use eminent domain to seize the buildings for public use. On Thursday, the VTA board will hold a public hearing to decide whether or not to adopt a resolution of necessity. And if it does, that would clear the way for VTA to start the eminent domain process. In San Jose, Marianne Favreau, NBC Bay Area News. Thank you, Marianne. Why did why is it got why does it gotta be why does it gotta be that place? Mexico Bakery. Yeah. Uh, it's it's rough for me. I mean, there is uh, so it's actually Mexico Bakery number two. The original location is down the way. Oh, hello. Sorry. Lights. Uh, is down the way on Allen Rock. Sorry. Uh, it's down the way on Allen Rock uh, Avenue. And it's still there. It's still going to be functioning. And it's still going to be serving up the most wicked tortas you'll ever have. Um, as well as all sorts of tasty treats. So I don't know. I guess this must be franchised. Because I thought it was just a satellite location. And I figured they would just consolidate or... Uh, sorted out that way, but um, I guess not. So uh, uh, it's uh, that's a shame. Um, there's also a bar on the corner, and then uh, another establishment in between them. I forget what they do, um, but yeah, that's a place I frequent a lot for for lunch uh, in in downtown, and it's a fabulous place. The people there are very nice and mean very well. So uh, yeah, this sucks. It uh, I don't know the ins and outs of what's needed as far as the construction goes and the vent and the emergency egress. I get it. You, you know, you need all these things and we we, do, we don't want to poo-poo Bart coming downtown. Um, but there's got to be another way, right? Um, but, I, you know, who knows? Uh, so I don't want to say that VTA is wrong to say that this is the most viable space, but they've got to do a lot more to, I think, assuage the concerns of the property owners. And I know the property owners are, are frustrated too, um, and they're, they're concerned. Primarily, a lot of it's because they just don't get really good information and they sort of get things thrust at them. And if, they, if someone actually sat down with them and worked through all these issues with them, um, there might be a way to, to figure it out, but um, as of now, they're not willing to sell. Um, but the city, or the uh, VTA, still has to offer them 
fair market value for their property. Um, and they do have to offer relocation assistance, even if it is just enough to sort of food truck, as the, as the gentleman said. Um, so hopefully uh, between all the interested parties, something can be worked out and we can find some solutions that work for everyone. But for now, it's going to be one of these issues. one of the situations where government comes in and has to step, you know, steps in and maybe oversteps in a way. Um, and that does not lead to more trust. In fact, it leads to a breakdown in trust. So it would be great if we could avoid these kind of situations as opposed to, um, you know, calling them a, a public necessity. Oh, that, that place is a public necessity. That's what I would say. The tortas especially, man. The torta milanesa is so good. They put so much meat and stuff in their tortas. The other places, you, you get a torta that's like, you know, paper thin or like news, mercury newspaper thin right now, right? They, these are like a meal, two meals actually, and it's still a pretty reasonable price. So frequent them while you can uh, and, and show show the world that, um, that we, we need bar, but we also need good conchas and good sandwiches. And not for nothing, I don't think that this is going to be the thing that delays BART. I think that like people are oh. talking about this BART extension as if it's going to happen on time, and it's not. This whole yeah, project well, has been behind schedule the whole time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's going to delay it is funding and financing, and the, the financing. You know, even the federal government financing isn't quite secured yet, right? There's there's all sorts of shit up in the air right now, um, and they're coming back for more local funding for this project, right? Um, and hopefully, you know, that doesn't mean that we're going to be asked to pay more taxes because I think people are already, you know, have already approved too many tax measures for BART to San Jose. Um, but it's costing more every day we wait. Um, and every day it is delayed, it costs more. This is true. So time, time is money. Um, but I mean, realistically, this should have been done 50 fucking years ago. Right. But instead, instead, this is what we're dealing with. So it right. needs to happen. When BART rolled out. But you know why, right? The people in the yeah, South, they, did, yeah, they didn't, they, they, like, I had heard people calling BART Mobile Oakland when I was young. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. That, that was exactly how it was, what was used to scare people into voting against it. There were votes. There were public votes in Santa Clara County and San Mateo County, and they both voted no uh, because they didn't, you know, because they were scared into thinking, oh, BART will just mean a bunch of black people will get on the train in Oakland and come down and disrupt my fucking white Tony community. Well, fuck you, people. Now we're de- now we're all dealing with it. Now all the black, white, Asian, Latino, everyone is dealing with the same fucking problem of our shitty ass transit system um, in the Bay Area and our, our disconnected transit system. We're paying the price for your fucking racism. Thank you so much. And like the the idea back then was that like your average black folks had just nothing better to, to do than just come fuck up your right. shit. Come you're not, you're fucking white and commit crimes, like, right? Like they didn't have any business to go about. Like, who are these people? Who are these people that get on a train to go commit crimes? Right? Like, if you're going to commit, if you're going to do crimes, you're probably going to do them close to home, like in an area that's convenient for you, right? You're not, you know, I I understand like going across town to to get the good candy on Halloween, right? But you know, this notion that someone's going to get on a train and, and ride forty minutes to somewhere else to commit crimes just because the crime criming is better. Right, we right. have more shit. You can do we better crime. You can do better right. criming in Saratoga, actually. Go to the Oakland, yeah, go to the Oakland Hills or Piedmont. There's plenty of you know decent homes there that you can rob. Good, it's not like you have to come to Willow Glen. to be had in fucking Montclair. Yeah. All right, no, no need to come to Willow, fucking Willow Glen, or fucking you know uh, Rose Garden. You know. Um. Anyway, uh. So hope <laughs> we'll see what happens. I hope every like I said, generally speaking, when shit hits the fan like this, someone finds a way to work something out. Um, so more than likely VTA will get their building. These businesses will be made whole in some way. Um, and we'll still be able to get good, decent, uh, Mexican food and pastries.
I'm more concerned okay. that the, the bar and nightclub will have a harder time relocating just because of how San and Jose so, doesn't really um, like bars and nightclubs. To, to be honest, that that I mean, I don't know about that if that spot is viable. I have yet to see a bar like that place has been so many different bars. I I have yet to see one take off there, quote unquote. Right? Um, it's been so many different things. So I I imagine either the site is really just bad spot or just really bad management. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, and within the city's not also terribly friendly to those types of establishments, but they're not terribly unfriendly either. They're just not very helpful. So, anyway, uh, more more to come. But we have another story about VTA apparently, and this is something you found, I think. Yeah, VTA um, is trying to hire more bus drivers and trying to train up more bus drivers because they're amid a nationwide shortage. So let's uh, let's see what they have to uh, see what they have to say about this. Your next ride on public transit could involve a longer wait. Today, Muni blamed staffing shortages for delayed trains and buses. Now, the problems come as tourism officials say they are expecting a 30% increase in people coming to the city. Now, the problems aren't just in San Francisco. It's taking longer to wait for a bus in Santa Clara County, just as bus ridership is rebounding after the pandemic. The VTA says it's all because a nationwide shortage of bus drivers is hitting here at home. As Len Ramirez reports, the agency is now trying to attract more people to get behind the wheel. So first thing I'm going to check is my defect card, make sure I have the proper date, the run number, the block number, and that's the right coach. It takes a lot to turn a car driver into a bus driver. So as I'm coming in, I'm going to check my mirrors. And that's exactly why Cesar Gonzalez is here. You're gonna go out, out the out the gate right now? Cesar is a 24-year veteran of the VTA and a top bus driver trainer. Today, he's taking one of the agency's newest recruits out on the road. Keep an eye on the person, okay? It's part of a nine-week bus driver boot camp that gives rookies like Jose Buenrostro Jr. the skills they need to safely steer a 40-foot-long, 30,000-pound coach through Silicon Valley traffic. Not only that you're driving a vehicle that's heavy, you're also carrying the most expensive cargo, which is humans. The need for more drivers is creepy. nearing a crisis. Coming out of the pandemic, <laughs> bus ridership is on the rebound, but the VTA has a shortage of up to 70 drivers. The impact is on riders like Eliseo Guillen, who find out the hard way that some bus routes don't have enough drivers and wait times on those routes have doubled. And I wait for more than 30 minutes. This morning I, w I was trying to ride up the bus, but it, it appears a message that it's taking longer. Did cars let you guys in? The goal now is to recruit and train up as many drivers as possible. But even though pay and benefits are good and there's room for advancement within the agency, recruiting is hard because being a bus driver is not an easy job. You're dealing with a large segment of the population, um, a very varied segment of the population. You never know what you're going to get and it can be very challenging in a public facing job. Turns out bus drivers themselves are some of the agency's best recruiters. Cesar knows that firsthand. As a teenager who rode the bus every day, he was encouraged to join the ranks by a kind longtime driver named Art Pena who was on Gonzalez's bus route. Because of Pena, Cesar joined up as a 19-year-old and rose through the ranks. Mr. Pena passed away from cancer in 2004, but his impact on Cesar and the agency can be seen to this day. The way he talked to people, uh, like, welcome, they come in come to the bus come to the bus and like I kind of saw myself doing it 
And the tradition of drivers recruiting drivers continues. Last year, Buenrostro was a security guard assigned to patrol VTA bus yards when he met some drivers who encouraged him to join. We stopped before the limit line. They told me it was a great opportunity for me and that I'm very young and, you know, if I start now, you know, I could definitely take my, my future and my, my son, you know, further. For him, skills like pulling up close to a curb for passengers' ease of entry are being sharpened, all under Cesar's watchful eye. Now, both trainer and trainee are looking down the road and performing a service while providing for themselves. In San Jose, Len Ramirez, KPIX 5. And there is some good news. This Wednesday, 24 drivers will graduate from their nine-week training program, but the agency will still be short 50 drivers. So as for pay, VTA bus driver trainees start at $22 an hour with 5% increases every six months. But because of the shortage, drivers are working more overtime hours, which boosts their pay. Right, but then they're working overtime. And they're exhausted. Yeah, and working overnight. Right. $22 an hour. I mean, it's... It, Yes, it sounds good, and it's a decent, it's a decent wage. Just at, do the math, though, and it's not even close to enough to to really live here in uh, that, in the south. In that the south that way. that five percent every six months actually. Uh, you you start think that that's that like bad. that's like that's like outpacing inflation. Well, yeah, that ain't generally, that ain't if if you do generally, an inflation not, not for this a year, not right, this year, but maybe. if you do like the last ten years, it like outpaces yeah, inflation. Yeah. And a lot of people no, end up in jobs where their raises do not keep up with the cost of living. So that not 5% at all. Like every most, most, yeah, most people get like two or three a year if they're lucky, right? Uh, right. Like a cola raise, right? Um, so, but, well, so good on that, man. In, uh, honestly, it's, it's, this is just one of those jobs that's got to be really difficult to recruit for, right? There's so many factors involved, the, the driving, the certifications, and then that, you know, you have to know what you're doing, first of all, and then dealing with, the, like they said, dealing with the public, like Stacey Hendler-Ross said, dealing with a very interesting portion of the population. It's like poor people, just to say it, like you're dealing, you're dealing with poor people, you're dealing with a lot of unhoused people who are using the bus as their, you know, their space. Um, anyway, uh, it, it, so uh, we'll see. Hopefully they can, they can fill up their ranks because we do need, the, the bus needs to be there. The, 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 the transit needs to be there. As much as it doesn't go all the places we wanted to right now and it's not it's not necessarily as efficient it's going to get even worse if you don't have people to actually run the buses that we have so uh, uh good to see that they're hiring but i just wish that they could offer more and it was it was a more desirable occupation i do i did love that that you know, we are transporting the most valuable resource yeah that was most valuable cargo humans it was almost like <laughs> calling us the most dangerous game or whatever you know oh man Anyway, a uh, late addition um, to the docket. Um, yeah, I saw I, this. What's up? Apparently, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors uh, tune in later. We're watching some crazy Board of Supervisors meetings later tonight instead of doing local love. Um, <clears throat> they've approved uh, a deadly force option for uh, already existing robots in the San Francisco Police Department. We were talking about this when we were talking about the uh, the the San Jose mayor's race that. Uh, that uh, evil Beto might deploy killer robots, but it turns out San Francisco's gonna do it first. Oh my God, let's see. Police robots with the potential for deadly force. The SFPD policy just considered by San Francisco supervisors allowing robots to kill suspects in certain critical situations. There's been a lot of talk about RoboCop or, you know, which I think sets, you know, a whole lot of minds going to a whole lot of different places. This is Katie. No shit. Fox 
2 News at 7 on KTVU Plus. And that controversial plan just passed about an hour ago in an 8-3 to three vote. Welcome, everyone, to The 7 here on KTVU Plus. I'm Alex Savage. And I'm Greg Lee. Those police robots will be allowed to use potentially deadly force. The plan's drawn criticism from civil liberties advocates. You, you don't say. Lee reports. San Francisco police asking for approval by the Board of Supervisors to use robots like this one as a potential deadly force option. That means military-grade machines operated by trained officers could potentially kill suspects during critical incidents. You know, there's been a lot of talk about RoboCop or, you know, which I think sets, you know, a whole lot of minds going to a whole lot of different places, but this is... This is not that. San Francisco Supervisor Rafael Mandelman supports using robots for specific life-threatening cases. In fact, I think it would be irresponsible not to make some kind of plan to use that technology in that horrific eventuality. It's really just opening a window that eventually somebody's going to want to crawl through. Matthew Goriglia, a policy analyst with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, says it doesn't make sense to give robots the ability to kill. We are going to lessen the burden of, of using deadly force from having to pull a gun and, and pull the trigger to a button on a remote control. SFPD. That's the pro- yeah, yeah, yeah. The cops are already the cops are already not known for fucking their their wonderful restraint. And so now right. I'll actually just send the robot in and press the button. It's so much easier. So much easier to just end somebody. Oh my god, I don't like this. Considering using you have five seconds to comply. To get into a building with violent armed suspects barricaded inside. In a statement, SFPD said in part, while an explosive charge may be considered an intermediate force option, it could potentially cause injury or be lethal. Robots equipped in this manner would only be used in extreme circumstances to save or prevent further loss of innocent lives. The discussion in San Francisco comes just a month after the Oakland Police Commission decided against a policy that would have allowed OPD to use robots with shotguns. In Dallas, a robot armed with explosives was used by police to kill a man suspected of shooting and killing five police officers in 2016. Transport the robot to the scene. Supervisor Hillary Ronan spoke out against authorizing lethal force for robots, saying she thinks this is an incredibly dangerous route to go. In San Francisco, Henry Lee, KTVU, Fox 2 News. So is this a response? Oh, sorry. Once again, just after tonight's vote, writing on Twitter, quote, even worse than I thought, only three of us, myself, Shimon Walton and Dean Preston, voted against arming robots with weapons to kill. Well, so go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I just this is terrifying. I mean, I don't even know what yeah. else to say. Yeah, I just I, this uh, is this in response to sort of the I mean the most recent incident in Texas, right? But the police just not being seeing like you know uh, uh, excited about going into bust up you know active shooter situations, right? Like is, is this sort of a reaction to knee jerk reaction to that that we're hearing that you know cops are just hesitant to to run into the fray, right? Uh, so we'll send in a robot to to the escalator to blow it to blow up the spot basically literally like i don't i i am unsure i think honestly i think the the cops just wanted a new toy that's like that's my take here is the cops just want like another another weapon yeah some something that and something that doesn't endanger their little precious asses but can go in and be used to to kill you know kill people basically um and to to blow shit up and who knows what happened and what the collateral damage might be in one of these situations um 
might be considered an intermediate device. Like, no, it's an explosion. It's an explosive device. What are you talking about, intermediate? That's some serious shit. That's a mili- This is military-grade kind of shit, right? And you're right. We already have tr- trouble enough with tr- you know, uh, itchy trigger finger cops and cowboy cops, you know, uh, ready to just chomp, chomping at the bit, right, to, go, to, to use things like this. Why give them another tool? Um, I thought we're supposed to be de-escalating. To be fair, the robot might be better at de-escalation than most cops. <laughs> True. I was remind. Well, I was reminded that seeing this story. I was reminded of two things. The first was uh, short circuit, of course, right? Number five. Um, and what, what if the robot suddenly became conscious of the fact that it was being used to kill? You know, I do not want to. Number five, don't want to kill. Number five, alive. Keep things alive. Um, and then the second thing was RoboCop, of course, uh, and the the very the, the, one of the opening scenes, right, where you've got that big boardroom of all the the mucky mucks, right, who are uh, uh, working on the next thing in policing, and they've got this huge robot that comes in at two oh nine. Yeah, yeah, I am here to police you. You must comply, and then it blows away all the, fuck, all the fucking uh, board members. It's beautiful. Um, but that that would that would be my, the the best joy ever. Would be to see a city council or board of supervisors like approve this and have the robot come in for a demonstration and just shoot them all. <laughs> so, <laughs> not for nothing, RoboCop holds up pretty well, but uh, it really does. But uh, the, the short circuit um does is, not is a problem. <laughs> yes, no, yeah, <laughs> nuclear lasers are not being you know, uh, and, and robots being armed with nuclear lasers not happening necessarily right now. Um, uh, but we'll see. Now, conscious robots though. Could be a thing. Who knows? So we're going to move on to get your shit together. Um, We've been talking about how there needs to be more public toilets, but absolutely not like this. Like, what the fuck is that? Well, check this out. You're not even going to, if you didn't look at the, check this toilet out. Space Age looking pod is the newest feature on San Francisco's Embarcadero, but it's not a new art piece. Uh, It's a new self-cleaning public toilet. And as NBC Bay Area Sergio Quintana tells us, you can expect to see more of them across the city in the months ahead. The ovular metallic pod is a curiosity for San Francisco residents out on their daily jogs and walks. It's sort of an interesting design. It'll take some getting used to. This is <laughs> to be installed, but it's one of 25 that will eventually be replacing the city's older self-cleaning public toilets. This capsule design replaces the green Art Nouveau style self-cleaning toilets that have been part of San Francisco's cityscape for the last 25 years. The new public restrooms are designed to be modern and sleek, but they're also designed to withstand the challenges of an urban environment. Obviously these live on the street and they do get graffiti on them and things like that. So it's stainless steel that's easily cleanable. The texture you're seeing on it is defense against stickers. Public restrooms became somewhat controversial in San Francisco this summer after word got out that San Francisco Rec and Park was about to get $1.7 million to build a restroom at Noe Valley's Town Square Park. That state money was never delivered after a public outcry. By contrast, the charge to San Francisco for 25 of these new toilet pods is nothing. The agreement is we provide the equipment including the ongoing maintenance and the services for the next you know, many years. But in exchange, we have the right to sell some advertising on some kiosk in the city. JC Deco has had this agreement with San Francisco for the last 25 years and just renewed the deal. Eventually, these kiosks where the company sells its advertising space will also be redesigned and replaced. Along with the new toilets, the deal also includes attendance for some of the restrooms. 
Certain bathrooms will be staffed to make sure that they stay sort of feeling safe and comfortable, but they are widely used by visitors to San Francisco. Welcome to the JCD Automatic Self-Cleaning Toilet. No, no. <laughs> Welcome to your bathroom experience. The Department of Public Works, plenty of people use them. These public potties log about 400,000 flushes public a year. Potties. In San Francisco, said Hugh Quintana, NBC, Bay Area News. So the, not for nothing, that one's already malfunctioned many times <laughs> like, oh my god i, I is, love the art nouveau the art nouveau toilets that we have in, in san francisco and san jose i didn't realize that was a that was what was going on there we're trying to be paris with our the, uh, our fancy toilets the the person speaking welcome to the toilets get the, it's like whoa like people were talking about how you know there's a there's suicide booths in um in uh futurama like that's what the, people are like are you sure that's a toilet <laughs> yeah it remind, actually reminds me of walking up to the self-checkout at the supermarket right welcome if you have your club card please scan it now welcome would you like to go number one or number two i can help you with that like siri like, I, I, how can i help you with that can i wipe your ass ah uh, well uh thank you for helping us get our shit together um literally um, we will definitely keep our eyes on this subject. So uh, interesting, the uh, the deal but between the, the toilet makers um, and the city um, to, to allow for this uh, for pretty much free. I don't, I don't understand why they were looking at charging for any toilets if this company is willing to build all these toilets and give them to the city for, in exchange for the right to advertise on kiosks throughout the city and probably make shit tons of money off of it. Um, seems like a good deal to me. I don't think the, the kiosks are bothering anybody. And if and you've got public toilets... Can't be a bad thing, right? Keep the poof off the street. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was- I'm just telling you, like they didn't say it in that 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 story, but I saw stuff on Twitter. Like some of those panels on the top, like open up for some reason, and mm-hmm. like there was like p- pictures on Twitter of some of those panels on the top, like being stuck open in the toilet now, not being usable. Like there were there's some. It's it's, it's yeah, it's weird. Well- I don't understand why. I mean, it seems like the toilets that we have already are functional, right? So if we're just they're just talking about replacing ones that are already there, it seems like kind of a useless endeavor. I like the Art Nouveau style; it looks good. It's it, it fits San Francisco. And yeah, why not increase the number of them by adding more? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think that would be fun. So um, instead, they're replacing. But who knows? Anyway, let's go down ballot. Yeah, let's go to this is our uh, look at local politics, and um, we're going to take a look at the. Uh, the reign of evil Beto, also known as Matt Mahan, San Jose's new mayor, uh, seems to be uh, beginning. And we're going to find out what's going to happen. Election. Two city council members in San Jose have advanced to other positions, leaving their old posts vacant. Now officials must decide how to fill those spots. KTVU's Ann Rubin tells us the current council members can either hold a special election or appoint someone, a decision which has sparked controversy. Matt Mahan, San Jose's mayor-elect, may have just wrapped up an election, but he's already pushing for another, a special election to fill two now-vacant city council seats. This is just simple common sense. The people should choose their elected officials, not the politicians. 
It is, however, the city council that decides how to fill the seats. In seven out of the last seven vacancies, they've chosen to hold a special election, not to appoint someone. But this time is shaping up to be different. There's certainly an effort out there to do a two-year appointment, which is something I'm dead set against. If you ask council member David Cohen, there are compelling cases and concerns for both options. In a statement, he says, quote, we need to have these conversations with an open mind and armed with data and analysis. City Council to me is uh, elect by people, it's not by uh, someone outside. At a news conference at City Hall today, residents said they're concerned that anyone appointed by the City Council wouldn't represent them. That we wouldn't get a choice. How would they know what our, our problems are? So now the City Council will investigate how long would an election take to prepare and what would it cost. The City Clerk estimates it could be up to $11.4 million for the two districts. Still, Mayor-elect Mahan says the price of skipping this is simply too high. What will be the cost to taxpayers of having their voices denied? A group called Let Me Vote SJ is currently circulating a petition in favor of the special election. The San Jose City Council will be holding a study session exploring their options options on December 5th. In San Jose, Ann Rubin, KTVU Fox 2 News. Um, yeah, I, <clears throat> I agree with Evil Beto. We should have an election. I, generally speaking, yeah, in principle, absolutely. And uh, I think that will be uh, strongly considered. I think you might have an interim appointment to fill the seats uh, until the election is held, right? Because it could be, since we don't have ranch choice voting here in San Jose or in uh, Santa Clara County, you could be looking at a, a primary earliest. It could be actually as May because you have to have, a, I think, 120 days from when you call the election until the election itself. Um, and then uh, that would leave a runoff potentially happening in September or August, September timeframe, 90 days later. Um, and because of the oddity of the presidential primary in 2024, um, which will be happening in March in California, most likely and potentially even earlier, um, the fundraising period for that election would open up um, in September of 2023. Um, so right around the time that this person, whoever it would be, is finally elected and taking office, and then they're jumping right into another election, another race, and having to raise money. Um, and so you, you have the potential for whatever you want to call it, a voter fatigue or just election fatigue, or just you know forcing that person into a, a, a very difficult position of having to run basically two elections back to back or two campaigns back to back. I don't sympathize. I, I really don't care. I think, we, the, you know, you need someone in the seat to, to hold it down. You need at least a staff there to manage constituent services while someone is being elected, but you absolutely go back to the people, no matter how paltry the turnout is going to be. And that's what you'll hear as well as an argument that, Oh, only if, you know, no, no, no one's going to vote. It's a special election. Well, you know, I, I wish more people voted too, and we have to do more about that. And more people took this seriously and, and voted every single time we asked them to. Um, they don't, but um, at the end of the day, I would much rather have you know ten. That's bad. All right, I think we're back. Okay, sorry, I don't know what happened there. Oh, um, uh, <clears throat> I do. Uh, the. Died. One of the one of one of the audio devices we use crashed. So anyway, oh. thanks for the raid, Justin. You uh, saw a technical mal- malfunction here on the audio side, probably for the first time ever. Podcast listeners, we're just going to leave that in there. Sometimes, sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles. Um, I think I was bothering on anyway. It really was pointless. I, I really didn't have any point 
at all. So, so yeah, they're going to do, they're going to do a new election. Um, and I yeah, think we're likely. going to, we're going to probably in just a moment here, we're going to meet the new, the new mayor of, of Oakland. Is that correct? It is correct. And actually it's, this is an interesting tie in here. Um, the right now, you know, on principle, you know, I'm all for an election. The, the weird thing is that timing factor. Um, that's the only really compelling argument to me. $10 million, $11 million out of a city with a budget of over $2 billion is really insignificant when you're talking about democracy and, and letting the people vote. If we had ranked choice voting in San Jose, we could get it done in one election. So at least by May, right, you'd have someone taking office or June, right? If Once it was certified. Uh, Oakland, a fine example of ranked choice voting. Once again, um, as happened has happened previously, the candidate for mayor who did not have the majority of, or did not have the most, not majority, did not have the most first place votes, ends up being the winner. Um, so let's learn more about her and uh, and this race. After two weeks of counting, it is official. Oakland has a new mayor, and her victory is one for the history books. Mayor-elect Shang Tao will be the first Hmong American mayor of a major U.S. city. Today, she sat down for her first one-on-one -on -one interview with NBC Bay Area's Gia Vang to talk about everything from what she'll do to in her first day of office to how she got here. Shang Tao's path has been anything but traditional. How are you feeling? Just, you know, so hopeful and incredibly humbled by the whole experience and just really thrilled to bring a new energy for the city of Oakland. Tao's parents are refugees from Laos. She's a survivor of domestic abuse and when she left that relationship, found herself homeless with her young son. Eventually, Tao went back to school and graduated with a degree in legal studies from UC Berkeley. Now, she's been elected the next mayor of Oakland. Did you ever think you'd find yourself in politics? Actually, no. <laughs> I was headed to law school. Uh, that's what that was. That was my trajectory. But what happened was I couldn't afford to pay for my son's clothes um, at, during the very last year of my college career in at UC Berkeley, and uh, I took on an internship that paired me with uh, Vice Mayor Rebecca Kaplan's office. While Taylor had more overall votes, he placed second in the city's ranked choice voting instant runoff. While it hurts to admit it. I do not see a viable path to making up the 682 votes needed to alter the outcome of this election. I will not be leading a recount effort, but I do understand that others are exploring this option. With the election over, Talbot... Jesus Christ, can't the, like, the national politicians act, act right? These, this guy was like, I'm not going to lead a recall effort. It looks like I lost. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean... At the end of the day, it's 600 votes. It's it's not a very big margin, it's, especially considering it's a whole city. But it actually is a significant margin when it comes to voting uh, uh, machines and and their um, you know uh, the the tech that's used, right? And and how accurate the count is. Um, if it was down to like a dozen, that's something you could certainly uh, that even election officials would say would be worthy of recount. But 600 votes is not going to get overturned by by a recount step into leading a city she says is in crisis. In a poll by the Oakland Chamber of Commerce, gun violence and homelessness were top of mind for voters. Tao, who <laughs> says she's been in a home that has been the target of a robbery and is a renter now herself, plans to have a hiring blitz for vacancies from the police department to permitting department. But with so many vacancies... How do you 
get people interested in that way? I think that, you know, uh, as Oaklanders, we are also proud of the city that we live in. And everybody here that lives here, they want to see a better, cleaner, stronger, safer Oakland, mm -hmm. right? And to, in order to create that, we have to give these great paying union paid jobs at the city of Oakland to Oaklanders so they can continue to live here, work here, right? And play here with their families. Tao says she is guided by her own. My mom cried and um, has been just been so happy. Um, she's actually really sick right now. And so, um, you know, it was really hard to see her this weekend because um, she said to me that she didn't think that she would make it to see the successful campaign. <laughs> Hold it together. Tao is also Hmong, a group from Southeast Asia who fought with the U.S. CIA during the secret war in Laos and are credited with saving American lives. You get the support from the Hmong community and you're absolutely right. I'm actually the first uh, Hmong person ever to represent a big metropolitan city in the nation. It is, we literally made history. In Oakland, Gia Vang, NBC, Bay Area News. It looks like everybody involved there is a fucking class act. What the fuck's going on? I know, right? It's Oakland. Something, something's in the water. <clears throat> who knows? No, you, Mike Merritt. I mean, the, 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 the guy who lost couldn't have been more, more gracious. Gracious, yeah. She they're, seems, they're colleagues, too. Yeah. Oh, they're, they, they already, they're like, they're like, they were, oh, so they, they probably didn't have a nasty election anyway. Maybe. I, I don't know how, how nasty it got. Um, it certainly didn't make waves if it did. Um, and like I said, yeah, they're council colleagues, so I think that they both respect each other a lot. Um, and they bo both had you know very prominent supporters, although um, uh, Taylor, I think, was supported by a little more of not the establishment, but more like a, you know, a progressive elites and, you know, the more, um, you know, the, the Oakland, the Oakland establishment, as it were. Uh, but yeah, good on good on her, um, and really looking forward to seeing what kind of leadership she can bring to, uh, to the city. I think Oakland is in need of some um, some dynamic leadership and maybe a shakeup of some sort. So, so up next, a uh, recurring theme on this show has been a bunch of wackadoodles and bigots going after Scott Weiner, uh, the uh, San uh, San Francisco. Uh, He's a state senator from the San Francisco. We've had Austin Bennett go after him, and we've had we had stories last week of uh, people sending him threats and harassing messages and whatnot. And so, yep. and uh, now it's Marjorie Taylor Greene going after him. Oh, so awesome! Good evening. A far right Republican lawmaker is back on Twitter and slinging slurs at the gay community. The line of attack focuses on a derogatory term from the past that's being used once again to divide and demonize LGBTQ people. Now, these attacks aren't just coming from inside state houses. Politicians have taken divisive rhetoric online. And you can see KPX 5's Itai Hod is here with the latest on this and certainly very unsettling. Exactly right. Yeah, the man under attack is State Senator Scott Weiner, and even though he's used to these attacks online, he says this one has him particularly worried. She has a huge following uh, with some very unhinged um, people in her, in her orbit. State Senator Scott Weiner says he's watching his back after Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene hurled an anti-LGBTQ slur at him on Twitter, calling him a groomer. When someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene um, attacks me, and in this case calling me a quote-unquote communist groomer, um, yeah, I do have to be uh, more vigilant. 
The term groomer, which refers to adults who build relationships with children in an effort to abuse them, has been used by some in the far right against LGBTQ people, trading on an old stereotype that gays are predators. It all started a week ago when Wiener tweeted, the word groomer is categorically an anti-LGBTQ hate word. That's when Green, who had just been allowed back on Twitter by Elon Musk, attacked him. Wiener says since Green's tweet, he's been inundated with attacks on social media calling him a pedophile. But his biggest worry is that it could encourage some on the fringe to hurt him or others in the LGBTQ community. Hate rhetoric, particularly coming from people in power, directly leads to violence. The slur came just days after a mass shooting at a Colorado Springs gay club that killed five people and injured many more. Now, some in the LGBTQ community are worried Green's words could inspire yet more assaults. Being in a place that's very gay, like we kind of are reminded that like we have to constantly be on alert and we're never really safe. Suzanne Ford is the executive director of San Francisco Pride. She says in the last few days, her office has been flooded with calls from people worried about their safety. The tone of people is, you know, discouraged, hurting, um, and it's terrible. Hi, it's Scott. Perhaps the only good thing to come out of all of this, Wiener says, is watching his community come together. We know that we have to stick up for ourselves uh, and be united, and, and we're doing that. All right, so Itai joins us now, and thank you for that interview, and he was very open about this. I'm just curious, how does Wiener feel about Elon Musk reinstating people like Green? Yeah, we asked him that. He said he was enraged at what Elon mm -hmm. Musk has been doing. He says he believes Elon Musk has completely embraced the MAGA community and has been peddling conspiracy theories. He, he believes that he is exerting toxic influence, not just over Twitter, but society as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. So now in your story, as we all heard, we're hearing about death threats and just how scary this can be. My question is, has he even reached out to Elon Musk? Have the two had a conversation? I think I know the answer, but yeah, he, I'm just obviously he's got to get some sort of conclusion. Yeah, that's a great question. He said no, he wasn't. He hasn't done it yet. He mm -hmm. wasn't planning on doing it. He doesn't think that Elon Musk would be receptive yeah. to anything like that. All right, Itai, thank you. Appreciate your interview there. And not for nothing, Scott Wiener gets it like a bunch of different ways because he's also Jewish and conspiracy theorists. If there's one thing we can say about conspiracy theorists, they don't like Jewish people. Yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, he And Scott is certainly not alone in the death threats and the threats he's receiving and the attacks he's receiving. Um, every single one of our elected officials, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, from uh, from different angles, or you know, get these kind of threats. Um, the stuff that's coming to him is just beyond the pale because of what you just said, right? It's just that sort of piling on of um, of uh, of microaggressions that he, that he represents against the white supremacist factions in our society. So um, I'm 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 never endingly impressed with ability of these folks to not brush the stuff off but to just do, go about doing their jobs um while they know that's out there and that threat is out there and that the austin bennett's are out there you know fomenting hate against them um that could froth up at any moment um so good on them for for staying the course and uh you know good on scott for, for doing for standing up for for folks and for, for representing us and yeah 
Fuck Marjorie Taylor Green. <laughs> yeah, fuck Marjorie Taylor Green. Reinstate Equiplex Media. Bounce her off Twitter, please. Yeah, no, no shit. So um, we have one more uh, like local kind of down ballady story. Apparently, there's a there's a guy near Reading, actually, up in Shasta, like Shasta County, who's been running a one man radio station. And I figured I'd <clears throat> I had to put this on the the docket because it me in twenty years. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the media landscape has really changed over the last few years, especially, and that includes TV stations and radio. Now, for example, locally, KGO Talk Radio recently shut down with almost no warning. But Digging the leather pants. Can claim something of an antique, rock and roll radio done the old-fashioned way. And as KPIX5's Wilson Walker shows us, that means doing it the hard way. ZZ Top on Northern California's home of the classics, the Z Channel. Night falls as you are making your way along a darkened I-5, and as you wind your way past Mount Shasta, you dial up some classic rock radio. Oh, real rock on Z100 FM. Only this isn't just a radio station, it is the work of one single person, and you might have a hard time finding anyone else doing anything quite like it. I don't know. Nobody. Nobody's stupid enough to do it, you know? Except for producer Dave. The whole show by himself. He picks the songs, records the jingles, even does a lot of the ads. Mouchass's only Havlin oil changer. He also does all of the maintenance and just about everything else. Music programming, traffic. I don't do sales because I suck at sales. So oh my God! Everything right here. Three or four software programs that kind of co-mingle. I send that over to the server, which is down here, and this is what's on there now. Chili peppers and sticks up next, and every time I hear something I like that nobody else plays, I stick it to rotation, and seems to do well. We're tracking about 22,000 cities on the internet. Australia, Barbados, uh, Germany, Canada, Russia. Yeah, I, I track it because I can see them on Google Earth right where their server is, and it's always right at the Kremlin. And all of those people, including the fans in Moscow, are listening to one man's playlist of 8,000 songs. But it's really been a lifetime of music. Michael started as a teenager on AM radio in Chicago before his career took him to Los Angeles. Then uh, I had children and I wanted a small town to go to, kind of like uh, mayberry -ish. Uh so uh, I found this place and uh, built it. 25 years later, he says the famously eclectic area has probably contributed to his longevity in an era when many stations have fallen under corporate control or disappeared altogether. And hey, coming up next, got uh, some mantras for you also, Jethro Tull. So there is still something a little like old time radio out there and people are finding it far beyond the shadow of Shasta, a one man band rocking on in a changing media world. It's a labor of love, man. You know what I mean? No normal person would undertake what it takes to do this, but <laughs> you keep doing this for a while? Yeah. Nothing better to do. <laughs> He's working a real job, buddy. <laughs> in Mount Shasta, Wilson Walker, KPIX five. That's awesome. <clears throat> what was that line? No no normal person would undertake <laughs> she gotta soundboard that. <clears throat> Yeah, I could, I could. I'll probably forget. But yeah, let's uh, 
that's pretty wild. I um I wonder if he ever has uh, technical issues where everything goes beep. <laughs> <laughs> sure, occasionally, occasionally. Um, that's beautiful. Anyway, we're gonna we'll go to and him. we're gonna go to and another things. We have a couple animal interest Thanks. stories. Actually, three. Yeah. Um. So you found this one, I think. <laughs> More wild, wild hogs. Wild pigs. Wild every, hogs. Every once in a while, the wild hog stories uh, pop up on. Uh, it's probably slow news days, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, usually now I'm dead. News tonight. So yes, we get it. A lot of talk about turkey, but for one Bay Area neighborhood, it's all about pigs. A long-running problem in Morgan Hill, where wild pigs or boars are destroying uh, people's front yards and sometimes even their backyards. Some people pig. want to shoot the pigs. Here's NBC Bay Area's Robert Honda. Oh, it's the shooting the pig stuff again. Top communities in Morgan Hill are definitely frustrated by the damage and the mental stress caused by the wild pigs and the problems. I'm stressed out. Keep growing. These are new images of the wild pigs roaming through the Holiday Lake Estates community in the hills of Morgan Hill and Santa Clara County. The homeowners say the pigs began rolling in after Woo. Anderson Reservoir was drained for earthquake retrofitting using the dry lake as a pathway. The pigs have uprooted huge chunks of people's yards as well as the open meadow used for emergency evacuations. And now members of the neighborhood association say their numbers have nearly tripled since last year. Every evening we've been hearing and, and seeing these large uh, boars and families of pigs come out. Some are up to 500 pounds. It's not easy just to have a bullet of, say, kill the pigs. <laughs> now, after a lot of debate and delays, it appears the current proposal calls for hiring hunters to solve the issue. But there are numerous state and local laws regulating how it can be done. For example, the pigs must be caught and caged before they can be shot. Plus, the local homeowners association's own bylaws prevent any gunfire in certain areas and would require a 75% homeowner vote to change it. But board members may have a way to solve that issue, too. We have 84 lots in Holiday Lake Estates that are on Lake Anderson. So if we shoot a gun on those properties and, and, and kill pigs in cages on those properties, there's no danger of a pass-through shot harming somebody else or hitting somebody else's home or a person. Many residents are against shooting the pigs, period. One homeowner, who asked not to be on camera, says she's reluctant, but also sympathetic to her neighbors and their damage. I can put aside my um, repugnancy about killing the pigs, and, and if we did them in a, if we did that in an area where it was allowed, such as the old marina or over by the dry um, lake bed. The homeowners will vote on the new proposed solution next month, but even after that, the group will face a maze of overlapping agencies to get permission to go on certain property areas and to actually kill the pigs. In Morgan Hill, Robert Honda, NBC Bay Area News. So there's a, a robots in San Francisco actually that could <laughs> probably take care of this problem. And that's what they call a callback, children. Uh, very good, very good. Uh, Yes, <laughs> the SFPD needs to partner with Morgan Hill PD to bring robots to bear to euthanize the pigs. Um, I also love the NIMBY aspect of this. Um, I'm all for euthanizing the pigs, but do we have to do it in my neighborhood? Can we do it in that other neighborhood, maybe? Over <laughs> by the docks. That's where That's where we need to do Over by the train tracks. Right. On the, uh, actually, on the other side of the train tracks. You know, you, know, yes. you know what I'm talking about. Not in my neighborhood. Um <laughs> So um, anyway. now we got wild turkeys in Alameda. Yeah, there's wild animals everywhere. If you live near downtown Alameda, this is probably a familiar sight. 
a wild turkey yeah. casually strolling onto your front yard or Yo. across your driveway or slowing down traffic as they cross the street. <laughs> is something locals say they're seeing on a daily basis. Stopping traffic, cars have to wait at the intersection for them to cross through. <laughs> I see them out my kitchen window, walking down the sidewalk or on my grass. Yeah, I got a couple <laughs> pictures over here, look. Ernesto lives in the area look. and shared this rather fitting picture of a turkey walking in front of a Thanksgiving display. Last year we see two big turkeys, but now it's only one, but I still... A uh, mom with uh, like six babies. Daniel Wilson with Alameda County's Vector Control says the turkeys aren't native to California and were introduced decades ago by the state's Fish and Game Commission to encourage recreational hunting. But over time, those turkeys migrated to more urban areas for obvious reasons. It's easy to find food. The resources are good. There's no mountain lions or bobcats, you know, Good public transit. This year alone, the county has received 24 complaints. From oh no, they're down some drivers. That's an 80% jump compared to a decade ago. And unfortunately, there's not much the county can do about them. It has to go to California Fish and Wildlife, you know, to either relocate the birds, which is quite rare. But with very few reports of foul play, it doesn't appear that locals are too concerned about the turkeys. I think people know a bunch of wild turkeys are around. feel that you just give them their space and they just go on their merry way. In Alameda, Pete Serratos, NBC Bay Area News. Yeah, the people there seem kind of entertained by it. Yeah, a little bit. I, I, they seem pretty cute to me. and It's all fun and games until a wild turkey eats a baby. <laughs> oh, man. You know? That's dark. Uh, yeah, I guess fatherhood's doing weird things to me. Um. Anyway, well, uh, so in here, uh, just to tie it all together, um, you know, or, uh, there's always someone stepping up for the turkeys, right? So we got to make sure that um, if, if, if there is a movement to euthanize, um, there are some activists out there that are going to have their say. Activists protested, protested what they call the violence of Thanksgiving at a Safeway store in Oakland. What do the turkeys want? Animal liberation! The group Direct Action Everywhere staged a protest outside and inside the Safeway store on College Avenue yesterday. The protesters say Thanksgiving celebrates the genocide of indigenous people with a tradition of violence that takes the lives of more than 40 million turkeys every year. They don't tell you that when you interact with these turkeys, even in these horrific places, that they're so young, full of life, wonder, the turkeys started to approach us. The protesters also dropped a projection screen from the store's rooftop <laughs> parking lot and projected footage from inside a turkey farm owned by Foster Farms. Direct Action Everywhere says it obtained the video from a Foster Farms turkey farm in California and that it shows the unsanitary conditions where the turkeys are kept. During well, uh, they have a point. They certainly have a point about the genocide. And I mean, yes, factory farming, obviously nobody wants to see images of factory of farming. Not. We all want the food. We don't want to see of images of it because of it's troubling. Yes, of course. And I, I you know, we, I think we had a story either we did or I saw a story about genetic, genetically produced, you know, meats, right. Where they just created in a lab where there's no actual organ, you know, living, you know, sentient being that's created. It's just the meats. Um, interesting. I might try it. Um, 
but yeah, I do. I, I was laughing earlier, not because I'm not sympathetic to the cause. I'm completely sympathetic to the cause. It was the, the, the clunkiness of the chant, right? If you've done right. any kind of organizing, it's like, what are you thinking? Like, what do the turkeys want? Animal liberation. There's like <laughs> way too much going on in that chant. Like, don't simplify, simplify, simplify <laughs> and take a breath. Um, but yeah, the, the, the turkeys were coming to us and speaking to us and telling us that they needed to be saved. It's like, you really don't need to go that far. Just show the video of the pink slime and everyone will throw up and no one will ever want to have a turkey again in their entire life until next year. To be fair, turkey isn't even really that good. Like, it's not even that good. It doesn't taste that good. It's just not the best meats, right? Like, the, you want some meat, man. Like, give me some oxtail. Give me some, like, you know, give me some pork belly, right? I, I could do with, I mean, I'll have it. It's good with like other things, right? It's good with the stuffing and with the mashed potatoes and with the, the gravy and the the cranberry sauce. But if you need all that to amp up the game on your meats, right? Like a nice steak, you know, should just be fine on its own. Just give me the steak. What, what's all this other shit on the plate? So, well, everybody, anyway, thanks. I'm a meaty. Thanks for tuning in for Down Ballot this week. Thanks for toughing it out when we had a, a audio malfunction. That's like something that never happens around here. Like at eh. all. At all. Eh. Yeah, right. At some point, we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds. But today is not that day. Uh, Councilman, you want to read us out? Absolutely. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for another wonderful episode of Down Ballot. Tune in every Tuesday night live on Twitch at 7.30 p.m. Pacific to hear us break down the latest in local derp. Um, I would say stay tuned for local love, but we're going to do a little post game tonight because there's no live interview. Um, but usually you will hear the best in local music after this show. So stay tuned for that. Keep downloading. Keep sharing with your friends. Keep wearing your pants because it's very important that you protect your junk. And have a great night, everyone. Peace. <laughs> My phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With the pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing We now get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene and what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car. Smoke another one, and another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing, and you know it's time to head in Alright everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it, and then pass it to me, yeah We do what we want, and what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want, what we want to do 
all we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Enjoy that band Last up on the field for the show tonight It's down to dirty and five so we're headed outside To spark up another joint now who's got my light A stoner E of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is, is that I don't think logically Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of rockin' Rockin' the rollie, you're the sexy girl be jockin' Me ain't too drunk to fuck, but don't probably do a sloppin' We do what we want What we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Molly say that he like jamming and hope he like jamming too. Well, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do, yes, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do. Well, Bob Molly say that he like jamming and he hope he like jamming too. Well, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do, yes, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do. Media streams seven days a week on twitch.tv slash echoplex media. With a variety of hosts and topics, there's bound to be something you'll like or hate so much you can't stop watching it. All times are Pacific. Check out our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.